A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Eurocopa podcast, sponsored by Sling Latino. Starting today, we will be bringing you daily coverage of what is going to be an incredibly fun summer of football and podcasting. From now until Wednesday, we will be previewing the group stages of the Copa Centenario, and soon the games will actually be upon us. And the next question you might have right now is, who is this we I keep referring to? Well, my name is Nipun Chopra. And I will be serving as your host for the next 40-odd daily episodes. And joining me every night will be the brilliant Karthik Krishnayar, as well as a host of other amazing pundits, including Juan Arango, Roberto Rojas, Robert Hay, Morgan Green, and others. But tonight, we, will, we are joined by Karthik, my favorites, Chris Hennage, and my regular podcasting partner on the ULF podcast, Gabe Smith. Gentlemen, welcome to the Euro, Eurocopa podcast. Great to be here. Great to be had. Awesome. Yeah, so, thanks for having us, Ben. Tonight's focus will be the group will be Group A, and we'll focus a little bit more on the U.S. men's national team. We watched a pretty uh, one-sided friendly yesterday, so we'll refer to that as well. So, in case you're wondering, the four teams in this group are Costa Rica, Colombia, Paraguay, and U- and the USA. So, we'll start with Costa Rica, gentlemen. Now, during the last World Cup, Costa Rica were kind of the the team to watch, Chris, and there was, uh, in, in particular, we were kind of focused on a particular player, Joel Campbell, who since then moved to Arsenal. Uh, and we were t- talking just before we started recording that Joel Campbell has had a bit of a patchy season, but when he has played, he's actually done fairly well. So that bodes well for Costa Rica, but overall, uh, probably outsiders for qualification. Yes, I think that would be a fair way to categorize it. What you can say is, is that, again, in the, in the two years since... The World Cup, it's been a little bit turbulent for, for Costa Rica. They've changed coach twice now since that tournament. And my concern with them is, is that if you look at their goal-scoring habits, they're just not the greatest. Um, Joel Campbell certainly has, has the most pedigree, I would argue, of the strikers on show alongside Brian Ruiz. But even then, you're looking at someone like Marco Arena, who's at uh, FC Midtjylland in, in Denmark, to try and get you goals when... He has a one in four record mm-hmm. for his country. That's that's not really the pedigree of a, a starting striker. And the fact that they've scored more than one goal only twice in thirteen games going into this, it just says to me that if they're gonna get through this, they're gonna need some inspired form from the likes of Keller Navas and goal. Karthik, talk to me about this team. Talk to me why what has happened with Costa Rica, because I definitely thought that they would be 
taking the world stage by storm based on what we saw in that World Cup. The style of football we saw, uh, the con- you know the, the movement, uh, some of the flashy play from the likes of Campbell, as we've mentioned, Brian Ruiz. So what's happened in the interim in the last two years that has led to kind of a slip in, in uh, Costa Rican football? Well, I think it's pretty simple. I think uh, Pinto, who had been brilliant manager for them, had actually been been critical in their run in, in, in 2002 to the World Cup where they, they won uh, CONCACAF qualifying, they won the Hex and, and did well in the World Cup and then uh, in 2014 and, and guided them to uh, the quarterfinals. They were unlucky maybe not to be in the semifinals. They were that good in, in that World Cup. Pinto was undermined by Paulo Wanchope, um, legendary player for Costa Rica, one of their all-time greatest players, a player we know in the United States because he grew up in the United States before he went off, off the playing Manchester City, Derby County, uh, West Ham. Uh, he, he undermined him, Juan Chope. He became the manager, and chaos reigned. Uh, they had a very poor Gold Cup. Juan Chope was sacked. Oscar Ramirez has come in with this team, and they just they, they don't seem to have the spirit or organization or continuity that they had uh, in 2014. And leading up to 2014, they were also very good in qualifying in 2012 and 2013. It wasn't an accident they did so well in the World Cup. We weren't sure how to uh, rate CONCACAF versus the other confederations. Right. But as far as CONCACAF being in the World Cup, uh, Costa Rica being the best CONCACAF country in the World Cup was no surprise because they were that good in qualifying. So uh, it's been management issues. And um, I don't know if they regain it for this tournament. Quite frankly, I think they are probably the genuine outsiders in this group. Yeah. Gabe, t- uh, you talked to me about Kaylor Navas. Uh, as a goalkeeper, I-, I know you and I have had many conversations about Who's, who some of the best goalkeepers in the world are. And it's so, sort of unfortunate that Kayla Navas was mostly just a negotiation uh, tactic last summer to try to get De Gea to Real Madrid, whereas he's had a brilliant season. He's now a Champions League winning goalkeeper. Uh, as Chris mentioned, he's probably going to be one of the key factors in if Costa Rica have to uh, move on to the next stage. Yeah, I, I think he's uh, absolutely the key factor for, for Costa Rica. Um, has the opportunity to, I think, uh, remove some of the stress uh, from, the, from the other players that will be starting. Uh, he's, he's that quality. Um, obviously, a, a brilliant uh, Champions League campaign that uh, ended with Real Madrid then lifting the trophy. Uh, I think, you know, really the, when you look at uh, his performance of the course of the season, and, and as you alluded to, in, in your introduction there, um, you know, all the talk was potential of, of De Gea, who you can argue is one of the top three goalkeepers in the world right now, uh, him coming over to, uh, to Real Madrid. And, and uh, that, that move not, not taking place, you now have uh, Kilo Navas, who had the entire season uh, to really show why he should be between the, the sticks, um, uh, both for, uh, for obviously club and, and, and obviously country. There's no question about that. Uh, I think that the biggest credit that you can give to him is is uh, I even hear most Real Madrid fans uh, rarely even talk about uh, kind of wanting that move for De Gea uh, for this upcoming summer just because of how well Kaylor Navas has been playing. So I, I think, you know, Costa Rica does surprise people and find some way to escape out of this group, most likely even be second place. Uh, it, it's I think it's going to be 100% because of, uh, of Kaylor Navas there. So really quick follow-up question to you, Gabe. What about Kaylor Navas as a goalkeeper? What is it that sets him apart from so many other goalkeepers. Because when we look at uh, Emmanuel Neuer, it's his uh, ability to play as the sweeper keeper, whereas De Gea doesn't do that. He's mm-hmm. a brilliant shot stopper. He, he's a very uh, very different goalkeeper. He's a non-traditional goalkeeper because he saves with his feet 
way more than traditional goalkeepers do, uh, sometimes inexplicably. So what what is it about Keila Navas that sets him apart as a top-level goalkeeper? Uh, it's, it's, his, it's his reaction time, uh, I think, for sure. I mean, you look at it, he's a phenomenal uh, keeper when it comes to penalties. Um, and I think that when you... When you look at the, the whole entire idea of penalties, it's all reaction time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I actually kind of see some similarities, uh, honestly, with him and De Gea in that non-traditional, uh, uh, you know, type style uh, between both players. Uh, yeah. So I think there's definitely you can see some of the similarities there, you know, with De Gea. But but novice as a whole, uh, his reaction time, you know, he's not necessarily going to be known for his uh, his distribution. Uh, he's not going to be one that's really going to be leading. Uh, ca- Counterattacks there for uh, for Costa Rica, uh, but in terms of in terms of his presence within the sticks, I, I honestly I don't think that there's really a better keeper in this particular tournament than uh, again when it comes to his uh, his reaction time saves. Yeah, so I think we're all in agreement, gentlemen, that Costa Rica will have a difficult time getting out of this group, uh, and we'll talk about the other three teams in a second. But before we do that. Before we continue our dissection of Group A, including the U.S. men's national team, let me tell you about how you can watch these games live. I know I've, I've been looking for tickets for the games in Chicago and elsewhere, and the only place I look for these tickets is SeatGeek. It's convenient and prevents all the hassle associated with looking for tickets because they put all the tickets in one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and SeatGeek will let you know if tickets ticket prices fail, fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats, and that's pretty cool. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. And what's really cool, guys, is my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. So this is what you need to do to get your $20 rebate on tickets. Step one, you download the free SeatGeek app. Number two, you go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. And then step three, you enter promo code WSTPOD and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So go ahead, guys, download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. Gentlemen, Karthik, I'm going to come to you first with Colombia. Uh, we were talking about Costa Rica being uh, having a good showing last year, sorry, last World Cup. We have to put Colombia in that same category as well. And they were propelled by a certain James Rodriguez, who was the talk of the town. And since then, he moved to Real Madrid and has kind of struggled a little bit. And he might be uh, looking at this, um, these, these, the Copa Centenario as an opportunity to move forward from his, uh, in his club career. Um, and, what I, uh, I guess the real question is, it, the focus is going to be on him because there's no Falcao in this team. Uh, honestly, not really been missed for a long time. He's been a peripheral figure since the injury before the World Cup. So talk to me about the Colombian squad here. Yeah, this is a very good team. This is probably one of the favorites in this tournament. One of the things I would point out about Colombia is, though, that they have a number of good, young under-23 players that I think might have been able to break into this Copa squad, uh, but they're being saved for the Olympics. They qualified for the Olympic tournament. They have a very good team. Uh, They actually beat the United States in in a playoff, and we were very disappointed about that Uh, in this part of the world because uh, the U.S., at least on paper, had one of our strongest under-23 teams in years. So I think James Rodriguez is is the key. Uh, The other key, of course, is Jose Peckerman, their manager, who... uh, has just an, an incredible record both at the club 
club and national team record uh, level. He's one of now many Argent, former Argentine national team coaches that have gone on to better and greater things with other South American countries. Right. You know, Bielsa comes to mind right away. What mm-hmm. Bielsa did with Chile to transform Chile's uh, style of play. Uh, like like Bielsa, Peckerman was blamed for uh, leaving Lionel Messi or hauling Lionel Messi off against uh, Germany and uh, uh, really kind of had, had a difficult uh, departure from that Argentina job after the 2006 World Cup. Uh, he went, uh, managed Mexico at the club level for a little bit and, and did very, very well there. Uh, and then uh, has now really kind of kick-started Colombia since he left uh, uh, Tigres and, and, and took that job. And he, he um, has brought Colombia to a level where they haven't been before. There was a period of time between 1990 and 1998 where Colombia Columbia had a lot of good players and obviously had that that uh, famous uh, 5-0 or 5-1 win over Argentina. I think it was 5-0 five, five, five uh, in 1993, but never quite hit the heights that I think they're hitting right now. The World Cup in 2014 and now potentially this tournament. This they, they, They're one of the favorites to win this, this tournament. Uh, Hamas is uh, the key guy. I think Cuadrado is in, in very good form. And uh, they have just uh, a number of players up and down the squad. And as I said, uh, some guys that might be in the squad that are that are not coming because they're going to the Olympics later this summer. Chris, uh, I have to admit that outside of Cordado, uh, sorry, Cordado, not Cordado, the Mexican, <laughs> uh, outside of Cordado and, and uh, obviously Hamas, uh, this team is filled with players that I don't recognize. But that's mostly because I have a very Eurocentric focus in terms of the football I watch. So talk to me about some of these other players. Highlight for me and our listeners who might be like me and might be Eurocentric, some of the players that will take this Copa by storm. Well, I think you talked about being Eurocentric. Carlos Bacca is someone who is in Europe. Mm -hmm. And I think for for me, again, it's been interesting to watch because I was quite fortunate to see him play for Club Bruges in person um, because they played Newcastle in the Europa League. And I must confess, his finishing was poor that evening. But you could certainly see why he was dangerous because he kept putting himself in positions that were difficult to defend. He would find spaces in between centre-backs, in between defenders, little pockets that really only the smartest strikers tend to find. And I think even though he's having a somewhat unstable time at Milan, this talk he could leave, that should not uh, breed any kind of complacency in his opposition because he will be, I think, as, as razor-sharp as he usually is. Mm-hmm. You've talked about how much Rodriguez in there. The other name I keep hearing good things about is, is Marlos Moreno, the, the forward at Atlético Nacional. Um, again, this is a tournament, I think, where players who are playing in South America can actually really benefit themselves and, and use it as a springboard because while there is a European tournament on, and yes, perhaps with, with our Eurocentric guys, we think that's where everything is focused, there will be scouts watching Copa America. There will be teams looking at players. Um, and from seeing him, he's, he's someone who's quite versatile, can play forward, can play wide as well. I think this could be a big tournament for him. I think in the absence of, of some names who are a little bit grander, he could come in and really do something for this Colombian team. Uh, Gabe, talk to me about players that you think will have an impact. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm glad that Chris mentioned uh, Carlos Baca. Uh, I think that um, you know, again, in terms of looking for for the goals, there obviously James Rodriguez is going to be doing that uh, from midfield. Uh, Cuadrado is going to be um, adding some great width uh, in the attack for Colombia. Uh, but the the main goal scorer, I think, is going to be Carlos Baca, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know his his performance at, 
AC Milan has been kind of inconsistent through the course of the year. Uh, but you know, he's he's not going to be a flashy striker, um, you know. But uh, I think his his uh, clinical finishing uh, is really going to come in key here. Uh, I mean, overall, I think that you know Colombia, very very talented squad. But if, if there's going to be any vulnerabilities, I, I think it's going to be on the defensive uh, side of things. Um, you know, really going to be putting I think a lot of uh, pressure on uh, Christian Zapata. Uh, again, another AC Milan player. Uh, who'll probably be one of the the uh, the main then uh, center backs in in this squad. Uh, I, I do like uh, Santiago um, uh, Arias there at PSV, um, but but really you know like we've kind of been mentioned here before. Um, you know everything's going to be going through their, their midfield with Cuadrado and and Rodriguez, and I think it's you know we have to note that when we look at these tournaments. Obviously, uh, uh, you know, as important it is in terms of their 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 international t- team, this is this is obviously an excellent opportunity for some players to uh, be able to uh, kind of vault then their own club careers. Uh, you know, be able to attract new teams and, and, and moves. And and I have to say, that's probably going to be one thing that that Juan Cuadrado is going to really want to take advantage of, kind of in limbo with this loan period from Chelsea at, at Juventus. Uh, obviously, you've got a, a new coach then at Chelsea then uh, with. Ent- Antonio Conte, who who should be quite familiar with with Cuadrado, so I think this is going to be also an excellent opportunity for him personally uh, to campaign for a stay and and also uh, you know playing time then uh, a good amount of playing time with uh, with the Chelsea club uh, going into next year. Yeah, I'm sure Jose Mourinho will be looking closely at the Cuadrado situation. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, totally kidding. So definitely, if you don't know how that played out, basically Cuadrado signed for Chelsea. And was immediately thrown on the, the Mourinho's bus, pun intended. Mourinho <laughs> pretended that he didn't want to sign him and never played him and sent him on loan. So, all right, guys, let's move to Paraguay. Uh, Karthik, the best way to start this conversation is to say, is to uh, inform our listeners that most of the players on this team are very inexperienced. 12 out of 20 outfield players have less than 15 caps on this Paraguayan squad. Uh, and the one that I think we'll t- spend some time talking about is Juan Turbe. So, uh, talk to me about this Paraguay team. Yeah, they have some experienced players. Most of the team is very young, as you, as you mentioned, Nipun. But uh, Pablo Aguilar is a player I like a lot and I've watched for years uh, in Mexico. He's coming off a good season with uh, with uh, America. Uh, just recently got knocked out of the uh, Mexican Clausura playoffs. Uh, Edgar Benitez up front, a player I've watched a lot of, uh, uh, mostly during his time at Pachuca. But he's also uh, was very influential for Toluca for a couple of seasons. Uh, still playing in Mexico, he, he's he's a good striker, and and of course uh, you've got Paulo da Silva still in the team uh, I, I and he plays for Toluca now I'm not quite sure he's going to play that much but he's uh he's now 36 years of age and uh, Valdez who uh, is playing uh, here in MLS with with, with Seattle uh, a top top player for years for for uh for Paraguay uh, uh came came to Seattle last season after spending a uh, half a season at nine Track, winding down his European career, uh, former Borussia Dortmund player, best known for his time at Werder Bremen and Borussia Dortmund, mm-hmm. but he's now 33 or 34. So you've got some very old players in this team and very young players and not really that many guys in their prime. So that's right. that's a big concern. And Chris, this is perfect. Uh, leads into the next question I was going to ask, which is that th- right now, the Paraguayan team is missing a Roque Santa Cruz. It's missing a Shilaver, who was a, was a total character, as, as we all know. It's even missing someone like Diego Gavillan, someone you would know who played for Newcastle. So it's a team in, in uh, transition and a team that's rebuilding, if, if such a thing exists for a national team. So how far do you see this Paraguayan team going? 
I th I think in in a lot of ways you can almost hang its its hats on Antonio Sanabria, the striker who's been on loan at Sporting Gijón this season from Roma. He's been very strong for them. I think he's got a one and two record, give or take, for for Sporting. So it's a big ask for someone like that to come in and replace Rocky Santa Cruz, who again he's thirty four. There's some cross country travel in there. That's not going. That would not be easy on on someone right. like him. So Sanabria is, is younger, doesn't have the experience. I think he's got less than ten caps. In fact, still even to score his first goal for for Paraguay, which is something to consider. That is a lot of pressure on there. You would think perhaps that that Nelson Valdez can kind of coach him through that and use his experience, given that he's the oldest of the the strikers they've selected. I just think that he could be a real breakout star of this. This for me, he's the kind of player that comes into this tournament and. You know, you frame the whole Paraguay debate around there's not a great deal of um, experience in that forward line in terms of goals. You know, only Valdez has double figures for them, and even that's in 75 caps. That's when something like this happens, and, and San Maria comes out and just, much like Milan Barros in the Euro, Euros uh, many years ago, just hits form at the right time and, and really takes the tournament by storm. Mm. Uh, but it's a let's... big ask, I think, for Sorry. a man that young. So, Gabe, let's let's switch to talking about the the main team here that we want to discuss with the U.S. men's national team. And we'll talk about tactics, and we'll talk about uh, the manager Klinsman. But let's start with the person that's taken all of us by storm, and that's Christian Pulisic. You follow you you watch Dortmund play week in week out. We do as well. Uh, and he has had a, a good season with Dortmund, a good first season. But the things he's doing with the national team right now are pretty awesome. His his, his finish for uh, for the third was it the third or the fourth goal against Bolivia. Fourth, fourth, fourth goal, goal was a very very neat, tidy finish. So how good is this guy? Are are we in danger of over hyping another footballer, or is this guy the real deal? Well, aren't we always in danger of that uh, <laughs> as, as as U.S. fans? I, I mean, I think we. We we always just crave uh, for that that opportunity to have a player who's really not only going to bring I think stardom um, you know to the the U.S. squad um, you know be able to reach feats that the, the U.S. national squad as a whole uh, hasn't been able to reach in international tournaments uh, but beyond that really be the face of, of U.S. soccer to uh, to help then um, uh, soccer get into more homes more places than that right now don't see uh this as a major sport in the same way as they look at basketball or the nfl um and so those categories and so you know we, we've been looking at ever, ever since you know freddie adu was was categorized then as the, the next big thing uh i think it's it's always been easy for um uh, u.s fans to, to really look for for that next player to dub it uh all that being said i, I think that there is certainly um, a, a lot of quality and talent uh, in this player, and and when you when you look and factor in um, that, I think in terms of where his career is at at this gentle age of, of 17 years old, um, and and already then uh, having not only significant playing time, but but also some starts then uh, for Borussia Dortmund uh, to to play in front of the yellow wall, um, to to actually have in the pressure of playing for a, a European club like that, uh, it can only help him. I, I think that that removes then. Some of this this pressure in the limelight that I think uh, players like Freddie Dew and others kind of succumb to, um, you know, from from everything that I've read, he's got a he's got a great head on his shoulders. Uh, he's being managed well um, uh, by uh, Thomas Tuchel then at Bush Dorman and not necessarily putting him directly in the front line 
fans at all times. Uh, I think that's it's probably a, a bigger credit to him that he is at a club like Borussia Dortmund to where there are so many other players um, that are going to really kind of attract the spotlight. And I think that allows for him to, to be able to, to go under the radar, uh, when, at least when it comes to Europe. Uh, and then when he comes back home to the United States, obviously all this focus on him. Um, right. Again, I, I think he's going to, to, to be able to, to do well um, in this tournament. You know, we were we were a little bit you know, curious as to you know, whether or not he was going to be playing uh, for the Olympic squad uh, or for Copa America. Obviously, he's been listed now uh, in the uh, Copa America lineup. Uh, there's so much youth in, in this this team as well that I think that's only going to help him uh, to be able to build chemistry uh, and, uh, and really form a relationship with some of these players that hopefully we'll see uh, you know, playing in, in many future tournaments together. Karthik, I have to ask you about this because, uh, as always, you had a very interesting tweet and I thought it was very thought-provoking, where you asked how many top-level teams would would be would have a 17-year-old starting week in, uh, week out in terms of, not week in, I guess game in, game out in terms of the U.S. men's national team. And as always, soccer Twitter jumped on you about for it, uh, you know, basically asking you a million questions about MLS and NASL and pro rel uh, and all that stuff. <laughs> so, so. Uh, Expand on that a little bit. I thought it was a very good point. It was misconstrued, obviously, on Twitter, as often is. But it's worth noticing that uh, the U.S. men's national team, a, a team that was ranked seventh not so long ago, uh, now has a 17-year-old who is the next big thing in the in in, in its football uh, development. Yeah, Nipun, uh, the Pulisic inclusion to me is uh, is a logical one because he is one of the best American players right now. He's playing at uh, the club level at Borussia Dortmund, one of the top clubs in Europe. The point I was trying to make, uh, which I think went over the heads of 95% of people who responded to me, misinterpreted <laughs> uh, my tweet, was in no other major soccer playing nation with the inclusion of a 17-year-old who has one international cap, uh, which was a cameo late in a 4-0 uh, qualifying game against Guatemala in, in Columbus and has played very little at the youth level, youth national team level, be, the inclusion of a 17-year-old in a major tournament uh, brings so little controversy or so little discussion, which I think is a statement of how where we are in our player pool and how desperate we are for success and how desperate we are for that American uh, that that. We've gone, gone through Bobby Convy and Santino Quaranta and Freddie Adu and on and on and on. Juan Agadello, Josie Altador, all these guys that at a very young age were hyped. And some uh, some had decent pro careers. Some had useless pro careers. Like Charles Rankin's an example of a guy that uh, was hyped at 13 or 14 and hasn't had a very good pro career. So uh, we're always hyping the next big thing, as Gabe said. And... I uh, was just struck that there wasn't that much discussion or controversy about this inclusion. That having been said, Pulisic is on the fringe of starting for this team. He's that good. And the player pool uh, in some in wide positions is that is that weak. Although I think the U.S. is very strong in some other positions. And I'm sure we'll get to that in, in a few minutes. Chris, the, the big talking point, of course, is Klinsman. Uh, you've you've covered mm. uh, you've been covering American soccer a ton for the Guardian and 442 and pretty much every uh, respectable uh, writing or journalistic organization. So talk to me a little bit about your views on Klinsman because um, I'd love to hear. It. I don't think he's questioned enough. He's not I questioned think... enough. Is that what you said? Mm. I, see. I I think far too often his answers are, are accepted and written down rather than follow up questions and. Um, just general 
sort of, of pushing on on his answers to things. Well, why is and that? The, it's not. The, it's not that he's he's very charismatic. It's not that he hmm. is abrasive with the media either, like Louis Van Hollis. So why does he get away with it? Well, I think he is kind of abrasive with the media. But hmm. but go ahead, Chris. I I, th- I think personally, I think a good reason is it's the American sports culture, hmm. in the hmm. sense that. And I say this again, I'm, I have a small sample size of press conferences that I've been in in the States. And some of them have been MLS games once or twice with the US men's national team. And so often, someone will ask a question and accept the answer that is given, even if the answer does not necessarily seem correct or fitting with the facts. And there is uh, a journalist whose name is escaping me, which is terrible because I've met him, who recently had an exchange with Patrick Vieira that many people deemed... Uh, quite scandalous in the sense that he questioned his uh, recounting of the game, his being Vieira, saying that they created chances. And we were talking to him and I said that it's funny that people think this is quite, uh, because actually in Europe it's quite normal to do that, to question a coach that way. I'm not sure if it's the same in the US. Now that's just my opinion, admittedly, based on a small sample size. And the thing I think with him is he's, he's promised so much to the US and the fact that he is coach and technical director, I find such a really confusing conflict of interest because on the one hand, you are your own boss in that sense. And it also seems like an awfully lot to give one man in terms of dictating not just the present, but also the future of, of the nation's football. And how does he realistically manage a national team and then also look at all of the youth national teams the pools below that that then feed into the youth national teams. It is a, a huge amount of work. And my concern is, is when I watch the U.S. national team, and, and to be fair, I have colleagues in Europe who ask me how the U.S. play. Mm-hmm. I often say I don't really know because <laughs> the, the truth is <laughs> they don't have a defined style. And this is the thing. This was what was promised in a lot of ways was yeah. that the U.S. would gain a style. And, and they haven't. I think... They've gained traits, certainly. The quick transitions, they want to use pace in wide areas. People like DeAndre Edlin are shifted up and down the right side depending on the game. That is, is one trait of, of what should be a bigger plan. And the fact that realistically there isn't a, a harmony tactically between the senior national team, the U23s, the U20s, etc., etc., that at this stage in the Klinsman life cycle is quite a big concern to me, I must admit. And I, let me just jump in here for, for a second. I agree with everything Chris just said. And the very first thing Jurgen Klinsmann promised us in 2011, five years ago when he got the job, was there, there would be that, that sinking. There would be that harmony between the senior team, the U23 team, the U17 team. There would be a technical direction. There would be a stylistic uh, consideration in, in how each of these teams played. We're five years into his tenure, I don't know if there's another coach at a club or a national team that would have kept his job as long uh, as he has, having made the promises he's made, having failed to deliver on those promises, and consistently uh, being abrasive when he's challenged on uh, on metrics that he, in fact, created. So uh, the, the point Chris made about the style and, and the lack of continuity through the, the, the uh, through the entire program is so important because that is the very first thing he promised in July of 2011 when he got this job. So, Gabe, let, let me pose the, the 
I guess the counter argument to what Chris and Carl, maybe not the counter argument, but what's possible mm-hmm. uh, another 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 way to look at this. So when Klinsman takes over, obviously he's working with a bunch of players that have already been exposed to X style of football or have X identity, whatever that X is, right? And to be honest, outside of maybe Michael Bradley, who I think is very good, a lot of them are, to be honest, crap, uh, for lack of a better word. So when he has to install this new style of football that they, that that the U.S. doesn't have, a new style of football, a new identity that they've never had, obviously it's going to take some time. And possibly the likes of Zardes, the, ty- the likes of uh, Pulisic, the likes of Nagby are a result of the things that uh, Klinsman has put into place. Is, is that a possible argument or is, is, he, is he just getting lucky with these players coming through? Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's certainly some give and take. I think, you know, Jurgen has, has, I think, been able to save his, his U.S. Uh, manager's career um, in, in international tournaments just like this, um, and like Copa America. I mean, we saw that, I think, in terms of leading up to, to the, uh, uh, the events themselves, um, like looking at, at leading up into to the World Cup then, uh, last year, you know, there would be some stumbling blocks, and you'd start having the focus right on on Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, you'd have then some of the same conversations brought up about playing players out of position, about this lack of identity, um, and I think it comes down to whenever the pressure is really on, uh, uh, you know, Klinsmann will will pretty much throw out any any game plans that he do to make sure that he gets the result. And even if that necessarily goes against the grain uh, of the, the style of play that he was hoping to, to play leading into that particular tournament. Um, so I, I see a lot of similarities, um, you know, with the, the recent struggles that USA had uh, in terms of outright qualification for the 2018 uh, World right, Cup. Right. I, you know, some questions being asked there. All of a sudden you get Copa America. You've got a good run in at least in the, the past couple, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, especially the, the friendlies here that we've seen. To where you know the spotlight all of a sudden changes, and I think that once we we see you know how USA does in this Copa America tournament, because it really can be a, a live or die type moment uh, for for Jurgen uh, in his current position, uh, because while there are certainly some some very talented, um, more talented teams than than the U.S. in this particular tournament, when you look at the likes of of uh, Argentina, um, uh, Colombia. Uh, Uruguay, uh, you can even throw even Bar- or uh, Brazil's B squad in there to a certain extent. Um, you know, there may, may not be expectations that USA is going to win it, uh, but I think if, if you have any kind of, of struggle through the group stage, especially in Group A, to where they should uh, be, be comfortable in, in getting out of that, um, I, I think all of a sudden that, that focus um, you know, comes back to the point of, of everything that we've always seen with Jurgen Klinsmann, and he may not find a way of, of getting escape out of it. Karthik, the, the standout players uh, for the U.S. men's national team in the outfield, other, other than Pulisic, of course, are Michael Bradley and, uh, and of course, Clint Dempsey. Talk to me about the goalkeeping position. Uh, in the World Cup mm. last, uh, in 2014, we, uh, we learned how much, how good of a goalkeeper Tim Howard can be. I know things didn't go as well after that at Everton, but we are now at a situation where he is the backup goalkeeper. Guzan has taken over, uh, as, uh, as first choice goalkeeper. Are we losing something with Tim Howard not being in goal or are we in safe hands, quote unquote, uh, with Brad Guzan? 
Well, I guess as safe as you can be with those with those two keepers. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly we're entering a dip in uh, the U.S.'s. Uh, uh, I, I think the U.S. right now probably has its strongest set of outfield players since the 2003, 2004, 2005 time period, mm-hmm. the time period leading into the 2006 World when, Cup. When Freddie Adu made his uh, debut, right, yeah. Well, yeah, he actually did, <laughs> actually at the youth level at the time. But no, a strongest set of outfield players since I would say 2000, the 2006 World Cup. But goalkeeper position, this is the weakest the United States has been in the modern era. Guzan's coming off a season where he got benched twice at Aston Villa in favor of Mark Bunn. That having been said, Guzan had been so important in keeping Villa in the league the previous few seasons. And then Timmy Howard, we've talked about Napoon, you and I have talked about it week in and week out with Everton, how poor he's been now uh, seasons there, uh, finally giving way to Joel Robles uh, as, as a starter there. I, I, I think Guzan's the right decision. I think Klinsman's made the right decision on this one. I just don't think the goalkeeper position is uh, necessarily safe, which is why the back line in front of uh, Guzan is going to be very important. And if you look on paper, yeah. the United States has about as strong a back line as we've had since uh, the days when Eddie Pope was playing uh, in central defense. So uh, uh, that back line is going to be uh, – doubly important because the keeper position is kind of shaky right now. Chris, what are the positions uh, outside of goalkeepers? We talked about that. Other teams will be looking to highlight. What are the weak areas on this U.S. team? <sighs> to me, that's a difficult question because in the same way that there are, to me at least, there are no glaring weaknesses, perhaps by left back, I don't think there are any huge glaring well, We don't have a left back, right? Either. It's <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's, it, in many ways, it, it is much of a muchness, the, the U.S. squad at this precise moment. For me, though, as I touched on that, I think the left-back issue is, is a sizable one. That's the problem, because there isn't a natural one in there. Mm-hmm. You're going to maybe put Edgar Castillo in there, who I've, I've not been that impressed with personally when I've seen him play. You could shift DeAndre Edlin over there if you were desperate. Again, whenever I've seen him play left-back, it just, just doesn't look pretty. Um he is very right-footed in that sense and, and not the kind of player that can transition. Like, for example, Philip Lahm famously did. Davide Santon is another one who's moved over um, to play on the side that's not with his strongest foot. So for me, I think teams will go with the left-back, but even then that makes it sound as if you know that's the weakness. In general, the, the defence, I think, is going to come up for some, some real strong tests in this because... I think they're solid enough in the air. I don't have any concerns with the US men's national team defending things aerially. Little tricky strikers, small centre of gravity kind of guys, as, as you know, Alexi Lalas said that he used to struggle with. I think this generation have a similar problem. You put them up against someone who's small, quick, technical. I think you'll see some some issues start to flare up. It's good news. It's good news is that they are players like Suarez, Aguero, and Messi in this uh, competition. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Chris, how far do you see this team going in this competition? Group stage, quarterfinal, semifinal, final, winning. Well, this is the thing. Klinsman said that I think he said the semifinals when they have to win for. But wh- how that's far the do best you see them? Finish. How far do you see them going? I think, I think they go to the quarterfinals personally. That's Get- that's as far as I see them going. Um, I- by the way, as for a plug, uh, you should read Chris's article in The Guardian about the U.S.'s 3-0 win over Argentina, a game I actually have on tape. Mm-hmm. A brilliant article. That was uh, what propelled the U.S. to a semifinal run in 1995. Oh, well done. Chris, you got a free plug. That works out <laughs> perfectly. Gabe, how far do you see this team going? Yeah, I, I have to agree with Chris. I think I think quarterfinals, I mean, 
certainly what they do uh, in the group stage, uh, if, if they were somehow to, to uh, jump over Colombia um, and, and get the, the, the first seed coming out of the group, that would certainly help uh, mm-hmm. in their positioning then uh, through the elimination rounds. Uh, but there's, like I said, there's just... There's just really there's some talented squads here uh, in this tournament uh, that and again some squads that USA's not used to playing um, you know that that often um, with uh, with with the cotton ball so I I think it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be a struggle once we get into to the knockout rounds. Karthik. Yeah, I think yeah, on paper the US the US is at home. They have a strong enough squad to get to the finals of this tournament. But I think the coaching issues, I think being uh, in a group with Colombia, look, I, I, we, I, I don't want to get too deep into it. We can get into it when we preview the game. I don't think Klinsman's a good coach. I don't think he's the right coach for this national team. But uh, I think that there are significant um, uh, technical issues and kind of tactical issues that the coach hasn't addressed, which will, will prevent the U.S. from fulfilling their potential in this tournament. I tend to agree with the rest of the group, uh, finish second in the group, probably get knocked out in the quarterfinals. There is the potential, though, to win this group and get all the way to the finals and lose to Argentina, who we're assuming are going to win it. I guess I've already <laughs> teased who I'm picking uh, right. in that final. <laughs> Um, so we are not done with U.S. Men's National Team chat. We will be talking about them again on Wednesday's podcast as well as Thursday's podcast, previewing, uh, gearing up for that Friday kickoff game. Uh, so until then, let me really quickly say that we will be joining you every night. So make sure you stay subscribed to the Eurocopa podcast feed. Uh, previously, World Soccer Talk, now Eurocopa for the summer. Uh, and um, Chris, Gabe, myself will be joining you tomorrow to preview group b and group c in which we'll talk about the likes of brazil ecuador mexico and uh, uruguay so join us then and on the uh, until then on the behalf of uh, chris hennage gabe smith myself nipun chopra karthik enjoy your football even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.